Father's Day to all of you. How many fathers got breakfast in bed this morning? Anybody? Oh, wow, okay. Oh, she made you get up, huh? That's great. I'm thankful for my father. I'm thankful I had a godly father that raised me and uh, a good Christian home. And if you had one as well, uh, I hope you, you know how, bu- how much of a blessing that is and how big uh, and how rare, actually, sadly, it is in America today. Uh, I'm thankful for father figures, good role models, and we're thankful for uh, fathers this morning. I want to remind you this morning about Friend Day coming up. It's July 2nd. If you have not uh, signed somebody up or asked somebody to be your friend on July 2nd, uh, there's still time. And so here's how you can do this. You can uh, go to the person that has, does not go to church or does not a believer or anything like that, and you go to them and you say, hey, my church is having a special day on July 2nd. We're going to have a special free meal after the service. Will you be my friend that Sunday? And ask for a commitment. How many of you have already committed to somebody? Anybody? All right. We got one back there. Okay, great. So, okay, it's not too late. The person that you wrote their name uh, down here on the card and threw them all down here on the steps a couple weeks ago, that person needs to be invited to July 2nd. If you have not invited them, they do not know what's going on. And so invite them to that. Ask them to commit to come with you for one Sunday. I am going to preach the gospel that Sunday, a strong gospel message. We're going to have a free spaghetti dinner uh, in the fellowship hall after the service that Sunday. It's going to be a special day, and I hope you'll uh, be in prayer about how God will use this service to tell people and to get people to understand the gospel and perhaps see people saved that Sunday. And so um, I hope you're praying for that. I've been praying for those people that have been turned in as well, and I hope you've been praying about somebody that you can invite and ask that they would be with you there that day, uh, July 2nd. (coughs) Again, that's Friday. If you're new with us, uh, let me encourage you to reach into your seat back pocket there in front of you. Uh, we take some time to go over this every Sunday. But if you're new here, I haven't met you or don't have your information, um, you can take this card that's in the, in the pocket that's in front of you. You can fill it out with as much information as you're uh, comfortable sharing with me. I'd love to get in contact with you, uh, know how I can serve you better, how Hope Church can serve you better, how we can pray for you, and just get to know you a little bit better. So thankful that you are here this morning. If you wouldn't mind turning these in in the offering plate right there at the back, that would be awesome, all right? John chapter 9 is where we are this morning. John chapter 9. We have another sign that Jesus performs. There are seven signs that Jesus performs in the book of John. We have studied a few of them already. We've studied the water being turned into wine in John chapter 2. We've studied the nobleman's son being healed in John chapter 4. We've studied the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. We've, we've studied the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, I believe. And, to n- and now we come to another sign. We come to the healing of a man that has been blind from the time he was born. John chapter 9 is where we will begin our reading here, beginning in verse number 1. Then he called his 12—I'm dis- uh, sorry— Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them, I'm sorry, I am reading from the wrong book here. I am sorry about that. Happy Father's Day. Like, this is not what I studied. (laughs) And 
This is, by the way, this is the first week that we're attempting to record our sermons as well. We're getting ready, ready to release a podcast this week, and hopefully we'll be able to update everybody <laughs> with all that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a great first podcast episode there. Um, all right, now that I am in the right spot, John chapter 9, sorry about that, John chapter 9, verse number 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is God's word. Many of us can remember a time when we experienced something for the very first time. Maybe it was a, 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 a ride that we were anxious about getting on, a roller coaster, maybe at Disney. Uh, perhaps it was a driving a new car that we had never experienced before, maybe, maybe driving a, a, a sports car that we had dreamed about. Maybe it was eating food, uh, a certain type of food for the very first time. Uh, for me, the very first time that I had biscuits and gravy was when my wife made it for me from scratch for the very first time when we were married. Uh, And let me tell you, this old California boy had his eyes opened. Uh, This was one of the greatest experiences I have ever had in my entire life. We've been married now for almost five years, and I keep telling people I do not know, with all the cooking that she does, I do not know why I do not weigh 400 pounds. Uh, But... One of the very first times that I experienced biscuits and gravy was when my wife made it for me. Many of us have an experience like that. Many of us can say, there was a time in my life where I experienced something for the very first time. Can you imagine being born, not knowing what anything looks like? Being born and not knowing what the sun looks like, not knowing what the trees look like, not knowing what your spouse looks like. That was this man here. He was blind from birth. Jesus comes along and 
He doesn't ask if the man wants to be healed. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't get to know him first. It appears that from this passage of Scripture that Jesus just goes to this man, he heals him, and this man, in result, courageously testifies of Jesus' healing for him, and he reveals the true blindness of the Pharisees that Jesus now talks to. If we look at the story, we think to ourselves, we were all blind at one point in our lives. We were not physically blind, perhaps, but we were all spiritually blind. And actually, we were all spiritually blind from birth. We have something in common with this man. We were born into this world not perfect, not a blank slate, not not a a good-natured person. We were born into this world as Romans chapter 5 tells us we were born into sin. We were born blind. Jesus takes this man and he heals him miraculously, performing one of the signs that John writes about in the book of John, but also he does it on the Sabbath. Typical. Jesus does something that is in opposition to the religious elite. But Jesus' healing has effect on us today. Jesus' healing is not an isolated incident that we find in a book that is over 2,000 years old. Jesus' healing has application and integration into our lives even today. And today I want us to look at what are the three ways that Jesus' healing affects us today. Let's look at one of those three ways. First, Number one, I see that Jesus' healing changes us for God's glory. Jesus' healing changes us for God's glory. Look at the ridiculousness of what these disciples say to Jesus uh, in verse number one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, to our Western eyes and to our Western uh, culture, we think to ourselves, this is ridiculous. Why in the world would you ask somebody, did you sin in your mother's womb because you were born blind? That's ridiculous. How do you sin when you're still in your mother's womb? Did you have bad thoughts in there? Did you, uh, did you commit a robbery while you were in there? Did, what if, the ridiculousness of it on his face is, is pretty comical to us nowadays. Uh, and I would say that these disciples were not thinking straight as well. But If we could think for a moment as well of the surrounding culture, there are many Jews who believed in reincarnation. They believed that you existed before you were born. And so it is not too far-fetched to think that these Jews might have thought, well, maybe in a previous life this man uh, sinned, and so now he's being punished for it in this life. That's a possibility. Regardless, they have the wrong question because they ask Jesus who sinned. Meaning, that this blindness is a result of somebody's sin. And what is Jesus' response? That's not the purpose of this man's blindness. Jesus responds and says in verse number three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Sometimes our suffering is not due to any sin or any trouble that we have brought upon ourselves. Although very commonly there is the consequences of our own actions. You go into crippling debt, you're going to reap the <laughs> you're going to reap the harvest of going into debt. If you 
uh, have an affair with somebody, you're going to reap the harvest of paying for whatever your actions were that, 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 di- that you did that. If you sin, you're going to have consequences. However, not all bad consequences, however, not all bad circumstances are a result of sin. And Jesus certainly tells us right now, there may be a trial that you're going through, there may be some difficulty that you're going through that is not the result of sin. Rather, you go through this difficulty right now so that you may glorify God in your trial. Sometimes we ought not ask ourselves, God, why are you doing this to me? We ought to ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? What are you teaching me through this? I don't know how old this man was. No doubt he had been blind for a very long time, but he was blind so that one day Jesus would pass by and bring him sight and bring himself glory. It is not for us to speculate what everybody's uh, bad circumstances or trials are right now. In fact, the more trials that we go through, the more strength we can find in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul had a difficulty in his life. When he wrote that verse, he had something that was bothering him. Whether it was a physical ailment, whether it was a disease, whether it was some form of uh, a physical blindness that some some scholars seem to believe that whatever it is we don't know what it is but God did not heal Paul of whatever it was that he had trouble with why because he said my strength is made perfect in weakness what is it that you're struggling with this morning what is it that you are weak in this morning is there something in your life that you are having difficulty with. Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Maybe it's a health difficulty. Maybe it's a relational difficulty. You just can't seem to get along with that person. Maybe it's the fact that you cannot call your father today and wish him a happy Father's Day because there's a strained relationship there. I don't know what your struggle is this morning, but know this, that not all struggles are a result of sin. It may be that God is using a struggle in your life to bring himself glory and to teach you something. We see the purpose of his healing, but we also see the method of Jesus' healing. He uses a unique method here. Jesus passes by this man who's sitting on the side of the road, of course, and he sees this man who's blind. He's been blind from birth. His disciples ask him, who who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin because he's blind? And Jesus responds, of course, and then Jesus does something very strange. Verse number six. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Strange. If you see a blind person, is your first response to to spit on the ground and mix up some dirt and then throw some dirt on their eyes (laughs) to heal them? No, you'd probably take them to the doctor to get a diagnosis, would you not? It's strange the different methods that Jesus uses throughout the book of John to perform miracles. In John chapter 2, when he turns the water into wine, what does he use? He uses water pots. Uh, What does he do when he tells the man at the pool of Bethesda to to get healed? He doesn't do anything. He just says, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Uh, What does he do when he heals the nobleman's son? He doesn't even even go to the city where the nobleman is. He just tells the nobleman, your son is healed, go home, and you'll find that he's well. But he does something different here. 
why does he use something physical to heal this man? To be honest, we're not told. The Bible doesn't tell us why Jesus uses the clay and the spittle and, and, and the saliva. There are some commentators that say that perhaps Jesus wanted to show that he could use creation to redeem creation, and I, that's certainly a perspective that you can have. I think Jesus just decided to use a variety of methods so that he could show to us it's not in any particular method that he uses. It's all in the person of Jesus that heals us and brings transforming power to our life. Jesus, it does, it, to Jesus, it does not matter what method he uses. It just matters that you're healed and that you believe in him. Jesus does the work. He provides the creation. He provides the saliva from his body. He mixes it together with the earth, and he anoints it on the man's eyes. And then he goes and tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and you will be healed. And what does the man do? Jesus does not heal him there instantly. He requires a response from the man. Jesus offers his gift of salvation to every single one of us here, but he does not force it upon you. You have a choice to make. You are not saved whether you like it or not. You are saved because you choose to accept the gift of salvation from Jesus. And just as this man had a response to make, as ludicrous and as ridiculous it may have sounded to him at the time, he had to decide, am I going to the pool and am I going to wash as this man tells me to? Or am I, am I just going to wipe my eyes off and keep sitting here? The man chose to obey the words of Jesus and what happens? Jesus heals him. Jesus heals the man. He brings the man's sight. He has brought sight to all of us that are saved in this room this morning. At some point in each of our lives, the ones that are sitting in this room that are Christians, there was a point in your life when you decided, I believe the words of Jesus, and I decide to accept him as my Savior, and I accept that healing for myself. Is there been a time in your life when you have done that? If there has not, today could be the day that you do. Jesus' healing changes us for God's glory. But not only that, the second thing I see is that Jesus' healing gives us a courageous testimony. Jesus' healing gives us a courageous testimony. Jesus seems to disappear at this point. Uh, we're, it's kind of puzzling, actually. You, you find him healing. He, he goes in verse number 7, so he went and washed and came back seeing. And then in verses number 8 through 12, we don't see Jesus anywhere. In fact, in verse number 12, his neighbors, they see him and they say, aren't you the guy that, that was just blind? What are you doing walking around acting like you can see things? And he tells them, a man called Jesus made clay and, and, and healed my eyes. And he says in verse number 12, where is he? And he says, I, I, I don't know. All I know is that this man, this random person came up to me, he he spit on the ground, and he anointed my eyes. He told me to go wash, and I wash, and I'm clean, and I'm seeing now, but I have no idea where he went. He preliminarily believes that there's something different about Jesus, that there's something more to this man named Jesus, but he's not sure exactly who this guy is yet. He's not sure who Jesus is yet, but I want you to notice in verse number 13, Verse number 25, we read it earlier, and we'll get to the opposition that he faces in a moment. But he says this, he, whether Jesus is a sinner or do not, I do not know. 
but this one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You don't have to be saved for too long to know this, that once you were blind, once you were in this lifestyle, once you were in sin, but now you are alive unto God. You are living a new life in Christ. You have a new reason for living. You don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to know too much about the scientific ramifications or the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. All you have to know is this, if you're saved, that Jesus came into your life and saved you. If you know that, then you have everything you need. Jesus has saved you. But he has also given you a courageous testimony. This man has now experienced Jesus, his healing for the first time, but notice who does not agree and notice who does not share in his enthusiasm. Verse number 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So this man, no doubt, has is known in the community. He is, uh, he's been begging there, blind, sitting in the same street corner perhaps for years on end. All of a sudden, he's seeing now. People react to this. He, first people he tells probably is his parents. Mom, Dad, I can see now. Isn't this great? The Jews around him, they did not believe that he had been blind to begin with. They thought the whole thing was a hoax. They ask him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents, you would think, would be supportive of him. You would think that they would understand that there's something different about this rabbi that he has just encountered. And yet, what do his parents say? They say this, verse 20. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. Verse 22 gives us some insight, though, into why they said this. Verse 22 says this, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. There is a cost for believing in Jesus. Your friends and your family will either side with you or they will side against you when it comes to believing in Jesus. All of a sudden, now that you are a Christian, the friends that you used to have seem to react differently. The relationships that you used to have are not the same anymore. The people that you used to know do not react to you the same way that they did when before you were a Christian. You know, I was in Haiti a few years ago, and, and Haiti is a very poor country. We, um, we, we as a church support a missionary in Haiti that houses about 200 orphans, and he has a large preaching conference every year uh, in January, and I was privileged to go there a few years ago. And on the very last night of the conference, the, the church service that we were there at, they had a baptism service. And there were, I think, probably about 20 people that got baptized that night, which was awesome. These people that had found new faith in Christ, they had accepted Jesus, and they were making their faith public to everybody. But the very last baptism of the night was this girl. I don't know her name. She was 15 years old. And she had accepted Christ that week, but 
her parents said, her parents were believers in voodoo. Uh, voodoo is a very um, a large religion, witchcraft and things like that in Haiti. Her parents had said to her, if you get baptized, if you accept Jesus, if you start going to church, if you become a Christian, we will disown you. And what does this girl do? 15-year-old girl in Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. She's up there at the end of the church service getting baptized, proclaiming to the entire congregation, I accept and I know Jesus. Getting baptized and becoming a Christian cost her very literally her relationship with her parents. This man believed in Jesus, has encountered Jesus, and his own parents do not want anything to do with him anymore. On a human level, we might be able to relate to this. Uh, the synagogue was not, uh, is something like a church nowadays. You, you get cast out or excommunicated from a church now, what do you do in 2023? Well, you go, you go down the road and you find your own another church, right? You find a church you don't like, what do you do? You go down to the next church. That's just what people in Jacksonville do. That's what people in 2023 do. The synagogue was a much different place. The synagogue was the hub. It was the center of everything the Jews knew about their social and communal and religious life. To be cast out of the synagogue would have meant you were cut off from society totally, period. This was a very serious thing. And for us to look at this go and say, well, okay, if, if I become a Christian, I, I might get cast out of this organization or I might get fired or I might get discriminated against. Okay, big deal, I'll go find another job, I'll go do this, right? But to a Jewish person, this meant everything. And I said this last week, church, but the time is coming in the United States of America where we may well be persecuted for what we believe. And persecution, I'm not talking about persecution where uh, a news organization might go out and do a protest in front of our church. I'm talking about like in China or North Korea where if you're even found possessing a Bible, you will be executed. The time may be coming, church family. Praise the Lord that we live in a country that allows us to worship freely but the time is coming where serving Jesus and identifying with Jesus will cost us much more than we have ever known. Jesus gives us, though, this courageous testimony. Those of us that are saved, when the time comes, I believe that Jesus will give us courage. He will give us the fortitude. He will give us the Holy Spirit to give us strength and boldness to testify and be made privileged just as they were back in the first century when they were persecuted. And so what do they do? They persecute this man. They throw him out in verse number 34. What do they do? Verse 34 says this. They answered him and said, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. There's a little bit more uh, in the middle of the story here, but what, what has happened up until this point? Well, this man has been healed. They bring him into the synagogue now, and they start questioning him. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Uh, why, why did he heal you? How did he heal you? Why did he heal you on the Sabbath? I must make a note here that healing on the Sabbath constituted work to these, to these Jews. In the Old Testament, there was uh, the Old Testament law. There was things that you could not do. You could not work on the Sabbath day. But it had gotten to a point where these people, these religious uh, rulers, had made over 600 different rules many of them pertaining to what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day, what constituted work and what did not constitute work on a Sabbath day. Interestingly enough, medical care was not considered work. 
if it was a matter of life and death. You could save somebody's life on the Sabbath day if it was life-threatening. You could not wait till the next day. What does Jesus do? He deliberately goes against the man-made rules, and he chooses to heal somebody on the Sabbath of a disease that is not life-threatening. Why does Jesus do this? Jesus does this to start to demonstrate to the Jews that the Sabbath is become an idol to them. Legalism has become an idol to these people. You do not earn favor with God by keeping rules. You earn favor with God by accepting his free gift of salvation. Jesus has provided everything we need to know and everything that we will ever need to earn all the favor with God that we could ever want. Jesus has provided everything for us, and Jesus now demonstrates to these Pharisees, no, the Sabbath is not what makes you holy. It is accepting me for who I am that makes you holy. And so what is his punishment? Well, they didn't cast his parents out. They cast him out. It cost him something. Believing in Jesus is going to cost him some, cost you something. But I want you to notice also in verse number 38, verse 37, Jesus says to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believed and he worshiped him. This man up to this point in verse number 17 and in verse 38, he knew that there was something different about Jesus. He knew that he was a prophet. There was something special about him, no doubt. Because he performed miracles, he said to the Pharisees, because this man performs miracles, how can this man not be from God? There's something different about this man. The Pharisees cast him out in verse number 34, and in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? It's at this point where the man puts his saving faith in Jesus Christ. There may be somebody in this room, or there may be somebody that you know that has experienced some kind of healing, some kind of good thing happened to them, something miraculous, something surprising. Could it be that that person, or maybe you're in this room right now, could it be that that blessing has happened to you because Jesus is trying to demonstrate how good he is to you, and he wants you to believe in him? This is no doubt what happened here. Uh, he answers, says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? The, the soil of his heart, the, 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 the soil of his heart was fertile. It was ready for Jesus. It was ready to accept Christ. Because this man had experienced the love and the healing and the compassion of Jesus, he was now ready to accept Jesus as his Savior. I wonder how many of those people around us have experienced the love of Christ from us? How many of those people around us have experienced the healing of Jesus that supposedly we have in our hearts? Does anybody around us know that Jesus has made a difference in our lives? Does anybody around us know, do this, does the soil of people's hearts around us, are they prepped, so to speak? Are they ready for the seed of the gospel because you have been tilling and you have been sowing and you have been cultivating their relationships till this point? Jesus certainly has done this. Jesus has not had any contact with this man before. He, the best we can tell, he healed this man, and immediately he sees, and then Jesus goes back to him later and says, do you believe in the Son of God? The man asks, well, who, who is he? You've been so good to me at this point. Surely you know who Jesus, you know who the Son of God is, right? 
you've healed my eyes and you're wanting to give me more? What more do you have to offer, Jesus? And he says, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. I believe, and he worships him. Jesus gives us a courageous testimony. This man could not help but proclaim that it was Jesus who healed him. Uh, His courageous testimony got him cast out of the synagogue, but his casting out led him right back to Jesus. Jesus goes and finds him again and gives him a relationship with himself. I want to say this to you, my friend. Don't be afraid of what might cost you if you get closer to Jesus. It is a lie from the devil that you are missing out on something if you get closer to God. My friend, it is totally opposite of that case. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you miss out in the world, and nothing could be better than that. Jesus gives us a courageous testimony. Have you given a testimony to somebody this week, this month? Have you shared Jesus with anybody? Friend day is coming up. I know all of us in here have at least one friend that doesn't know Jesus. Have we committed to sharing Jesus with them? Are we prepping the soil of their heart? Have we given the gospel to them? Do we love our friend enough to know, to tell them that Jesus loves them too? Jesus gives us a courageous testimony, but finally we see that Jesus' healing exposes willful blindness. And I must hurry with this final point. The Pharisees are doing what they do best. They are opposing Jesus. They're catching Jesus on a technicality. If you notice in the text, it says that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And these Pharisees start being divisive amongst themselves. One segment, one sect is over here saying, oh, this man cannot be from God because he heals on the Sabbath. Uh, And then this section over here says, well, he he must be from God because how can he do such miracles if God is not with him? Well, it's a technicality. (laughs) It's... This is beside the point, guys. You just saw a man that was healed from blindness from his birth. Nobody else has ever been healed like that before, and you're worried that this, that this Jesus healed him on the wrong day? It's the wrong day for healing? They were caught up on, but so often, if you're self-righteous, you get caught up on something that doesn't matter, do we not? Uh, we, f- we find that they also accuse Jesus when they start, when they cannot find anything that sticks to Jesus, they, go, they look at him in verse number 24 and they say to this, to him, so they called again the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, we know God healed you, but this man, this, this man didn't heal you at all. Uh, we don't know how you got healed. We know that God probably healed you, but we know that Jesus is a sinner. They started making things up about Jesus. They started accusing Jesus of things that he was not guilty of. They were so blinded with jealousy. They were so blinded with the envy that they had because this man was taking away their influence, that they were willing to make up anything about him instead of examining the claims of Jesus and accepting him for themselves. They were also comforted with the, what they knew, their old religion. In verse number 29, they say this. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 27. He answered them, I told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Now they're just lying. 
They absolutely knew where he was from. They knew that nobody else could do the miracles that Jesus could do, but they are so blinded by their pride, their jealousy, their envy, they will not see the truth. In verse number 30, the man responds. It's as if he's saying, can't you see? Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. You may not know who Jesus is, but I do. I know who this man is. I know what he did for me. Why can't you see what he's done for me? Why don't you agree with what Jesus has done for me? It is so easy for uh, those of us, if you've been newly saved and recent, if you're a new Christian, it is easy for us to see why can't everybody else see what we see now? How could I have been so blind? The Pharisees we see are actually the ones who are blind from birth. They accuse this blind man of being blind from birth and completely born in sins when they are not willing to admit that they are the ones that are blind. Jesus finally says to them here in verse 39, he says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who may be made blind. Then said some of the Pharisees who were with him, uh, they said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. If you are willing to admit that you're blind, then your sin can be forgiven. But if you are not willing to admit you're blind, and you instead say, no, I see just fine, Jesus says, your sin remains. You have become too blinded by your pride. We have here a story of a man who was blind from birth, healed by Jesus, and now gives a courageous testimony to those around him. Can that be said of your life? Can it be said that you were blind from birth, that Jesus now has given you a courageous testimony, and that now everybody around you knows who Jesus is because of your courage and boldness to spread the gospel into your community? There are those who will accept him, and there are those who will not. Jeremiah 5.21 says this, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Let me leave you with this final thought. In 1738, Jonathan Swift uh, was an, an early author, an early American author. He used a saying that looks a lot like Jeremiah 5.21. There was also a quote in the United States in, in, in 1713, and and even earlier, perhaps, in the, in the 1500s. But the quote goes like this. There are none so blind as those who will not see. The most deluded people are those who choose to ignore what they already know. You already know you are a sinner. You already know who Jesus is. You know what Jesus' purpose was. You know what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. What is stopping you this morning from accepting Christ? For those of us that know Jesus, what is stopping us from telling others? What is stopping us from revealing the healing that Jesus can truly bring to our lives? What is stopping your courageous testimony? We are all blind from birth, but you can be made to see. Let's pray. To, let's bow our heads together and pray.